Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. And we're back. Again, I'm Kevin Ellis. This is our Wednesday show on Vermont Viewpoint. And last Friday, you might remember that we committed to exploring the situation in Israel and Gaza. We interviewed the former U.S. ambassador to Syria, Robert Ford, along with Ella Butler, an American who's been living on a kibbutz in northern Israel for the last 20 years. In taking this on, we're committed, as I said then, to listening and learning. And as I said last week, I am no expert on this issue, and I will make mistakes in my language, my my vocabulary, and my understanding of the history, religion, human rights, and the United States' role in all of this. So please bear with me. With that said, I want to take this issue on as best we can from the Palestinian point of view. As I did last week, I urge you to get a map of the Middle East on your screen and make an effort to understand the glossary of terms that we're using. And we do this uh, a day after a bomb uh, hit a hospital in Gaza and killed some 500 people. I don't know if the Israelis are finally taking responsibility for this. The first effort was to deflect and blame others for it. We'll get the truth one way or another pretty soon. Um, In response to the attack of last (coughs) Saturday, Israel has attacked Gaza with land and air-based rockets, killing hundreds. The death toll on both sides is big. Uh, Pro-Israeli supporters, including President Biden, who is in Tel Aviv today, responded by repeating what has now become a kind of talking point. Israel has a right to defend itself. Our effort today is to try to go beyond that narrative because uh, it, it, it just seems not enough to say that anymore. And so we are joined by our guest today, Sarah Haj Hassan, a Jordanian-American who grew up in Amman, Georgia, Jordan, and has participated in, di- participated in dialogue programs between Israelis, Palestinians, and Jordanians. She has a master's degree in social work from University of California at Berkeley, where she became heavily involved in the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, replicating the peaceful method used by South Africans to end apartheid. Sarah Haj Hassan, I hope you're with us and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I hope you can hear me okay. I'm currently not even in the U.S. I'm calling you from Skype. Um, I hope you can hear me. We can hear you, and we'll gra- we're grateful to you for being here. And as I said... Thanks for having me. Yeah, and as I said in the introduction, you know, we're trying to uh, hear from all sides, and, and we're trying to get beneath the headlines that we hear uh, and the talking points from the politicians we hear on TV and radio. What What is it? Can you talk to us about the Palestinian side of this? What is happening yes, in Gaza? Right. What are your friends telling you? So first of all, I want to make it very clear that I think your approach is perfect of reading beneath the, and beyond the headlines because, as we know, in the U.S., our news coverage is um, often biased, often communicating a specific narrative. Um, I would love to start briefly by just sharing a little bit of history of media in the United States that probably some of your viewers know, but others don't. Uh, during the Vietnam War, 
all the images of war appeared on their screens, soldiers dying, Vietnamese dying, and it enraged people and slipped up to the streets, and it caused a big political problem for the government. After that, uh, certain images were banned from being shown on the news. They started censoring because, you know, under the thing of, like, oh, we shouldn't show violent imagery, but really it was they didn't want to incite public reaction from military efforts. After that, fast forward to the invasion of Iraq when all of us were purposely misled, as we know now, about weapons of mass destruction to justify a war. Um, the government uh, used the, uh, in, in my opinion, manipulated American grief over 9-11 to justify a random war that we now know had nothing to do with that. And during that time, they loosened the journalism integrity laws in the United States. Uh, and you can find all this data online. Now, with all of that, we can see how the media machine has been time and time again been used and abused to support U.S. political decisions. And this case is no different. So I just want to make that distinction right now of people being careful where they're receiving their news, if it's mainstream media, being critical, searching for other sources, and also questioning internal biases. Why is it when a Western media source speaks it's the beacon of truth? But local media sources that are experiencing it are suddenly lying, especially if they're brown or black people, people of color. I think that that's a very important thing to consider about our internal biases um, when we are consuming media. So that's the first thing about media consumption, which I appreciate you addressing when you started. The second thing is what's often left out of all of this is the crux of the issue, an illegal occupation under international law. Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International, two of the biggest human rights organizations in the world, have both produced extensive reports in the past years stating and, and, and determining that Israel is under the definition an apartheid state. We are in the year 2023, and an Israeli occupation, apartheid state, is being not only supported, but financially uh, like financed by the U.S. Now, we don't talk about this. There are several, several uh, human rights violations committed by Israel currently and continuously committed that are never covered. The Palestinian people have been peacefully resisting for 75 years. We're up here and there when you all hear about it. So the Intifada, I'm sure people have heard of that. Currently, it's like, oh, Hamas, bombs, you know, are send, sending rockets. Why are they sending rockets? Why? What is the crux of this? They have Hamas and the Gazan people. Hamas is a political party, by the way, just a side note. Um, a few, about 10 years ago or so, the U.S. was on a democracy kick and said, we won't come to the table with any organization or political party that's not democratically elected. So they demanded that the Gaza Strip enforce strict democratic elections. Okay? Hamas is a, is a, is a, a political group. They sent over uh, monitors, to mo international monitors, to monitor the election. Hamas was democratically elected. And when they were democratically elected, uh, the U.S. went and called them a terrorist group and labeled them as such. Nelson Mandela, the group he was with, was labeled as a terrorist group until the early 2000s. I mean, we really have to question this narrative. This is not a condonement of the, of the killing of civilians. Never. Never. But we have to question... Why, when Israel bombs thousands, and I do not exaggerate, are bombing thousands of Palestinian innocent women, children, elderly, 
innocent souls that are caged, two million people caged, they have nowhere to flee. It's, it's defending themselves. But when an occupied, persecuted population sends rockets, it's terrorism, and, and everyone has to denounce the actions. Where are the people denouncing the actions of Israel? Uh, Instead, we see Isan with Israel everywhere. And I think that's an important context. There are checkpoints. Palestinians have no freedom of movement. They don't even have passports. They, they, Israel determines what goes in and out, what supplies, and currently no food, no water, no electricity. Electricity has been cut off from hospitals. And as you know, and as you stated, Israel is deflecting, blaming the Palestinians, the misfired uh, rocket by Hamas for the damage done. Hamas rockets don't have the capacity for that type of explosion, first of all. Second of all, it has been documented that the Minister of Defense posted on Twitter that they were going to bomb it, and they said that they bombed it and hitting multiple targets. There was an immediate international outroar, and they deleted it and deflected the blame. So I just want people to be critical of what they're watching, understand the cross of the issue, and really think about three top things. Protect the people. I know it's hard, given the decades, decades of socialized Islamophobia and anti-Arab sentiments that have been cultivated in the U.S. to justify wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. I understand. I understand it's hard to unlearn that. But all I'm saying is, think about two, two things. Imagine an alternate reality where it was an Arab state that treated a Jewish population like this. How would people feel about that? What would the world's reaction be? Two million Jews under siege and being bombed from the air with more bombs in seven days than the U.S. dropped in Afghanistan in a year. Think about that. How would you feel? What would your reaction be? And then the second thing to consider, and something I, I, I want to make very clear, is this narrative of Zionism equaling Judaism is false and unfair to the Jewish people, honestly. If you look, there are tons of Jewish organizations standing up now saying, not in our name. Zionism was a concept invented in the late 1800s of a nationalistic Jewish state. It is not Judaism. They do not equate each other. And, and, and claiming so is a, a manipulative, horrible way of justifying the violence against another population, which is completely against you know, Judaism and all of its values. And so I want to make that very clear, that standing with Palestine, standing with genocide, which is happening as we speak, is not anti-Semitic. It's not a question of, 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 of Judaism. It's a question of Zionism, violence, occupation, and apartheid. Sarah, can you talk to us about the use of the word Palestine? Uh, I, I take pa- yes. the word Palestine to be a place... Uh, a country that is recognized by many countries at the United Nations, but not all. And we, we talk about the Palestinian mm-hmm. people, the Palestinian authority, but we don't talk about Palestine as an actual entity or country. Can you explain for the American audience what that means? Yeah, of course. Thanks for that question, by the way. I think it's important because it seems, um, well, first of all, with apartheid, Israel has been trying to erase Palestine off of the map, uh, renaming villages as they ethnically cleanse them into non-Arab uh, names, etc. So to be clear, Palestine uh, was an entire country. Um, and in 1948, as you know, World War II, uh, Jews, first of all, Jews have lived in Palestine for millennia. I want to make that clear. Jews, Christians, and Muslims have lived together for centuries upon centuries 
in peace in Palestine. It was almost a holy place for all three religions, as Abrahamic religions, and that was how things were. And there's even, as you know, well, maybe not, if you don't know, I'm sorry to make assumptions, there, there was a Muslim quarter and a Christian quarter in Jerusalem. Um, the Muslim quarter is currently being ethnically cleansed uh, by Israel. But the idea is Palestine was a state in the Middle East for Jews, Christians, and Muslims alike. In 1948, um, th- there's a bigger background of uh, the, the occupation, the, the British mandate that was over Palestine and the Ottomans and Palestinians trying to seek liberation. In 1948, uh, the, the British decided, oh, we'll give land to, to the Jews, and they tried to just tried to, to split up the country. And a, and a Jewish militia at the time, it was not a country, it was not an army, it was a militia, committed what we consider the Nakba or the catastrophe. It was a mass exodus and massacre of Palestinians, and there are documented uh, confessions of the Jewish soldiers at the time of the mass murder that occurred during that time to create the state of Israel. So the state of Israel was committed on massacre and genocide and ethnic cleansing to start in 1948. With time, obviously, there has been war to try to contest that occupation and that uh, the creation of the state of Israel as a result. But throughout the, at one point, the Palestinians were like, okay, let's make peace and let's both have our state. Now, the tragedy of the situation is the, the Palestinian people have been trying to create, for decades they've been talking about a two-state solution, and I'm sure, I'm sure people who have read up on it have been hearing about this so-called two-state solution. If you look up right now, uh, Google Palestinian state over time, and maybe look up visualized Palestine, I think they have a good um, uh, kind of gra- uh, map of documenting the size of the Palestinian land. Over time, Israel has purposely created... Uh, Jewish settlements illegal under international law on Palestinian land. What does that mean? That means that they literally ask Jews from around the world, saying, you have a right to go to Israel because you're Jewish, come to Israel, and what they do is they vacate Palestinians from their homes, from their land, and then have the Israeli army protect the settlers being settled. It's, it's, it's textbook settler colonialism. And if the settlers are violent, which currently they're actually armed, the army is trying to give the settlers machine guns with, with no culpability whatsoever against the Palestinians who are in neighboring villages. And so I know we're seeing a focus on Gaza, which it should be, given the, the level of death, but this is happening all over Palestine, where right. Palestinians are persecuted, jailed without trial. There are children who are persecuted for throwing rocks, who are thrown in jail for years without trial. Under international law, this is a violation of human rights, and nobody's speaking about this. The fact that the American people are supporting a state that is committing these atrocities is shocking to me. And I really think it's not a lack of humanity on the part of Americans. I think it's a, a failure of the political and media machine. And I think it's so important that people stand up now. Okay. And I'm speaking to people of conscience. May I, may I just say one more thing? Sure. I know I've been rambling, but one more thing that's so important. All of us, I'm sure, think the best of ourselves in some way. We look at Jim Crow. We look at South African apartheid. We look at the uprising of slaves against their masters, and we think we would never stand for that. We would always stand up against it. But the reality is, at the time, there was also this propaganda and media that vilified the other side, calling them barbaric. 
and, and, and making people stand in neutrality, thinking that neutrality is neutrality. Neutrality is, compl- is, is being complicit as well. This is one of those times. Educate yourself. Understand what, how you're being brainwashed about what's happening. A massacre is occurring under our watch and under our funding. Billions, billions of U.S. tax dollars, of our U.S. tax dollars every year are paying for military aid. It says aid, foreign aid. It's military aid to send bombs, the bombs that are being sent down, raining down on Gaza right now. We should not stand for this. People need to speak up. Ask an end to the ceasefire. It is, I mean, for a ceasefire. Again, I urge you to get a map out to try to understand of the geography of this situation because it's critical. Uh, our guest is Sarah Haj Hassan. She is a Jordanian American and uh, with a master's in social work from UC Berkeley who's heavily involved in uh, trying to achieve peace in the Middle East to give it a, a, a universal label. Uh, Sarah, I, 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 listening to you, I, it, it dawns on me that there's so much history tied up in this. You, it's very hard to mm-hmm. talk about this situation, whether it's the Hamas attack on Israel or the Israeli response, without understanding that Israel was created in 1948 out of World War II at the hands of uh, uh, um, the Americans and uh, the Brits. And uh, the, the, these attacks... Uh, whether from both sides have been going on. What you describe didn't just happen 10 days ago. It's been going on for 40 years. No. Right? Correct. So can Correct. you, can you Correct. talk more about that history and how, it, it, in some ways, that history is what makes it all the more difficult for us to find our way forward to a peaceful resolution to this? Um, I actually disagree. Okay. I disagree. I think... That argument, um, I'm glad you mentioned that, but I think that argument has been used to keep people silent. Right. It's too complicated. You don't understand enough to get involved. Like, you don't want to say anything because you don't know what's happening. I think the, the crux of the issue is, can we all agree that illegal settlements are illegal under international law for a reason? Settler colonialism is not an acceptable thing. Uh, apartheid, apartheid. I, I mean... To think that we're in 2023 trying to convince people that apartheid is not ethical and people should speak up is mind-boggling to me. These, this to focus on, it's not complicated. People try to silence people by saying it's complicated and by appealing and, and in my mind, completely manipulating Jewish grief and, and true fears over anti-Semitism, global anti-Semitism. I've heard historians say Passed in the, in the in the 1940s, Palestine did not have a, an anti-Semitic problem or a Jew problem. Europe had a Jew problem, and now they're turning this and manipulating the narrative. That is not the problem. The problem is not Jewish versus Muslim. That is not the issue. It's not a question of hating Jews. It's a question of of struggling and trying to resist an illegal occupation, settler colonialism apartheid, and, and ethnic cleansing, even within Israel itself, the Palestinian citizens, okay, Christians and Muslims alike, are being ethnically cleansed out of their neighborhoods, kicked out, given notices, and then a few days later, bulldozers come and bulldoze their house, or literally they're kicked out so Jews from New York can come and sit in their house and take over. 
how can people sit by and be okay with this? This is not complicated. Can you? It's not complicated. Can, you don't need a degree in politics to do this. Can you to, to know where you stand on this? Can you tell us how you feel about President Biden's visit to Israel right now? It's shameful. Why? It is nothing apart from unethical and shameful because Biden is going to show support to Israel. Biden, Biden, there are videos and you can YouTube them. Biden speaking, I want to say, at an APAC, which is an Israeli lobby organization, one of the most powerful in the United States, yeah. um, stating that, uh, that if Israel does not exist, we as America would have to create it. The United States wants a presence in the Middle East so they control matters there. It is not a question of Israel itself. It is not a question of defending the Jewish people. I want to make that very clear. Just like it's a political maneuver. And Biden, two days ago, stated we will always, always stand with Israel. Biden himself talked on the news about seeing beheaded babies, which we all know is now a debunked rumor that was purposely created to defame Hamas and justify this genocide. Wake up. Wake up to what's happening. It is, it is abominable. And to think we have a Democratic leader, and I'm sorry, I voted for Biden. And right now, I, I'm really, honestly, as someone who spent years seeing Trump destroy this country, I was so relieved that Biden was voted in. And now I'm like, what is the difference? What is the difference when, when politicians are representing the, the, the uh, benefits of, of, of uh, you know, what are they called, lobbyists? lobbyists and companies and capitalism and colonialism and not the people and not justice. Our guest is Sarah Haj Hassan, and we are talking mostly about the, the view from the Palestinian viewpoint. And I want to, I want to uh, ask Sarah about uh, the, the statement issued by Bernie Sanders yesterday, uh, and I'll read it. The slaughter of over a thousand Israelis by Hamas in a terrorist attack is an unspeakable crime. The bombing of a Palestinian hospital is an unspeakable crime, as is the displacement of a million people without food, water, and medicine. These unspeakable crimes must stop now. The bombs and missiles from both sides must end. Massive humanitarian aid must be, must be rushed to Gaza and the hostages must be returned to their families. Sarah, uh, what is your reaction to that statement? I mean, it's the most liberal, uh, humane statement you're going to hear from a U.S. politician, realistically. Right. right? And I think that, in a way, it's just, uh, out of all the politicians, I was a huge Bernie Sanders fan, and I was very sad he did not make it to the end of, of the race, because I would have voted for him without question. Um I think that uh, Bernie Sanders, out of everybody, as, as a Jew himself, but then also as uh, a man of, of ethics and morals, uh, understands more deeply what's happening and sees the humanitarian crisis happening. Um, I think where I kind of disagree in his rhetoric is any time people speak, they don't want to be attacked. And by the way, there is, I will, I will admit, there are consequences to speaking up. There are a lot of consequences, and that's why a lot of people are silenced, whether it's censorship, um, shadow batting, if people know what that is, uh, amongst other career, and there are a lot of professors who have been fired 
um, a lot of people who have been fired from news stations for speaking up. So this is something people are being actively silenced. But I think the rhetoric of both sides is a false one. The rhetoric of war is a false one. When, when you have a population resisting occupation and oppression, uh, and then you have one of the strongest armies of the world, I don't think that's an equal fight. I don't think it's a question of war. I think it's a question of genocide when you have the people trapped without electricity, water, and food. And to say, please don't send bombs out, what, are, are they supposed to sit down and just wait to die? Why does Israel have the right to defend themselves, but the people who are being oppressed and occupied are supposed to lay down and wait and starve to death? Lay down and wait to be massacred by another bomb? People seeking shelter in UN schools were bombed yesterday. Seeking shelter. And then all Israel has to do is, 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 you know, submit a statement saying there were terrorists. Why do we believe them? Why do we believe the occupier, the people massacring them? Why are we looking to them for first-hand accounts? But then when Palestinians, the Palestinian Authority or people in, 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 in Gaza submit reports saying this many people are, are killed, the bombs were dropped by Israel, it's like Palestinians claim. Palestinians claim, but anything Israel says is fact. Keep in mind the language you're reading. What is the language saying? Palestinians die, Israelis are killed. How much news coverage have Israelis received? How much humanization have, have Israelis received? And how little have Palestinians received? We really need to be critical about how we speak about this, the language we use. We can't call it a war. It's not a war. It's a massacre. We can't call it both sides. There's an occupier and an occupied. We need to be clear with our language, responsible with it when we speak. In other fronts, I agree. Aid needs to be open. Electricity, water. Water is not a simple thing. They bombed most of the water pipelines. There needs to be a mass, massive aid is waiting at the border. The, the, Israel has bombed the Egypt a border with Gaza multiple times, preventing bombing the road, preventing trucks from reaching. And by the way, when Israel asks for the people to be uh, relocated, which under international law is illegal, to force displaced people, and they forced this place over a million people, people started evacuating and they bombed the people evacuating. And that is not propaganda. There are videos, there is documentation. Look for it on Instagram. Follow Jewish Voice for Peace. Follow Palestinian accounts. We, uh, I think it's Crave Palestine, or We Crave Palestine, my sister. My sister is a doctor with Doctors Without Borders and has gone on missions to Gaza to help train doctors there for years. She's supposed to be there right now, but she can't, obviously. Okay, she is in touch with doctors on the ground. They started an Instagram group called Gaza Medics. Please follow them. These are first-hand accounts from medics on the ground about the humanitarian crisis happening there. This is not a question of we'll speak about it later, we'll educate ourselves later. This is a, po- a question about calling your representatives, asking for a ceasefire. I don't care what your politics are. You can at least have the humanness in you, humanity, to call for a ceasefire, the end of bombing of civilians. Call for a ceasefire. Go out into the streets. Join the boycott divestment sanctions movement. It's a peaceful movement to end apartheid, end illegal occupation of Palestinians. These are all peaceful methods people have been pursuing for decades, but don't get a word of news. The only time the news covers Palestinians are when Israelis are killed. Palestinians Uh are killed every day. Sarah, can you explain to us, to, to the American audience that, that may not be paying such close attention, I, I want to get to the difference between Hamas 
and the people who live in Gaza, who are Palestinian by, for the most part, two million plus Palestinian citizens, most of them children, who live in Gaza, and, and yet, uh, among them live the, the Hamas fighters who attacked Israel. Can you, can you tell us the difference between Hamas yes. and Gazans? Yeah, I think I think the whole framing is also a way to justify genocide. If Hamas is a terrorist organization, and this is this is what I mean, Fox News presented this. They said Hamas is a terrorist organization, and Palestinians voted for them, so it justifies the bombing. And then they also said this is this is uh, by the way, a, a Fox News reporter said this. And the Palestinians, nobody wants them anyway. Egypt won't let them in. And wherever they go, there are problems. Nobody wants them. That says something about them. I mean, this is a dehumanization of a people. The, the Israeli Minister of Defense called them human animals. They're calling them the children of darkness. This is public information on Israeli accounts talking about Palestinian humans. So just to be clear, the dehumanization is number one. A way they are dehumanizing dehumanizing Palestinians, and a tactic they are very purposely using, is labeling Hamas a blanket statement as a terrorist organization and saying all Palestinians supported them. First of all, now, I do not ever condone the bombing of, or, or murder of, of, of civilians, children, women, never, okay? It's against me, it's against my religion, I won't do it. But we have to have a more nuanced understanding of Hamas. Hamas is a political party. So when they say a Hamas-run school, a Hamas-run hospital, that's like saying a Medicaid hospital in the U.S. or or a government school. So when they're justifying it using the name of Hamas, it's, it's, it's all just propaganda to justify these horrific crimes against humanity. Now, there are people voting for Hamas, and honestly... Like, you can understand, if you're an oppressed population who has been subjugated for so many years, you're going to support the political party resisting your oppression. It's natural. Right. It's completely natural. They are not allowed to have a military because they're under military occupation of Israel. Like, keep, keep that in mind, that concept. Why do Palestinians not fight with their own military if they're being occupied? Because they're not allowed to have one. So when you say... Hamas is a terrorist group. Under international law, law, any occupied people are not only allowed but are encouraged to take up arms in defense. Okay. Take a moment. It, it, I want us to take a moment to think about that. The analogy that I would draw now, I'll get it wrong, but I I think of the uh, yes. African National Congress of Nelson Mandela in South Africa, which had a yes. political arm and a military arm, or the Irish 100%. Republican Army in Ireland, uh, which also had a military arm. It's an imperfect analogy, but it might serve us. Yes, and the Nelson Mandela example is a much better one even, because it was a situation of apartheid and resistance. And today, fast forward in history, Nelson Mandela in the books is written as uh, a human rights advocate, someone who fought for his people against the oppression of apartheid. And we, in our hearts of hearts, think if we were back then, we would have supported anti-apartheid movements and we would have been on the side of justice. Yeah. And guess what? You are living that time today, and I promise you that is what's happening. Sarah, uh, in our last segment, we've only got a few minutes left. I, I want to try to get to... Mm-hmm. 
how do we move forward here? How, what's what's the path to stop violence? And I, I even had a, a, a friend, an Arab friend of mine, say maybe the time to, is to give up on a two-state solution and go to a one-state solution and try to create one one I'm big country. I'm 100 on board with that. Uh, I'm on board with that. You are? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yes, I Go. personally am on board with that. Go ahead. I'm, I'm on board with that because because Israel, Israel with its continued occupation, and I hope uh, your viewers looked up the visualized Palestine map of Palestine over time, pre-1948, 1948, 1967, and now, and how Israel has continually built settlements to cut pieces out of Palestinian land to make the two-state solution impossible. Right. It's absolutely impossible. It's just crumbs. And what, what I want to say, first of all, I, I, I agree with your, your friends, um, but what I, what I do want to say, and, and a one, one state, a democratic state, I, I'm, I, where everyone has equal human rights and equal rights. Currently, Israel's uh, constitution gives more rights to Jews than to other populations, even within its citizenship. And so, and that's why it's an apartheid state, only one of many reasons. I just wanted to bring something up. You're asking about how to continue forward. I just received news, and you can find it, that the U.S. vetoed the U.N. Security Council's resolution calling for a humanitarian pause in Gaza. The number one country that is complicit after Israel in the continuation of the violence is our own country. The number one thing people can do as a first step is ask for a ceasefire. Call your representatives. Go out and protest. Jewish Voice for Peace is out today closing every entrance to the White House saying no genocide in our name. What are you doing? Ask yourself. This is, this is a crisis. If you are, I, I completely understand that given how the U.S. has been socialized for the past 20 years, years and more actually historically to question non-Western, non-white voices that are speaking up. I understand if some people don't feel comfortable, but check Al Jazeera News. If not, follow Jewish Voice for Peace. Check humanitarian organizations, Doctors Without Borders, Amnesty International, the International Red Cross, Committee of the Red Cross, ICRC. What are they saying about what's happening on the ground? What are they saying about the humanitarian crisis? No matter where your politics lie, I hope that you can realize the, the inhumanity, the destruction, the massacre that is happening to the Palestinian people today and our role as American people in it with the billions of dollars of funding that we are sending and the continued bill resolution and bill, excuse me, bill that uh, Biden is calling for to supply more aid. We're not talking about aid like we send to Africa and to even Jordan, where I'm from, that's building community centers. We're talking about military backing, to continue to bomb Palestinians, and this is what I'm talking about. Call for a ceasefire. The U.S. is what's blocking the road to humanitarian assistance. The U.S. could pressure Israel into opening the borders, into stopping the bombing, and we have a responsibility to make sure that happens. I saw on Instagram a, a, a friend who said, who posted a, a very simple sentence, the U.S. could just could tell Israel to just stop. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's sad, but it's true. It, it really is true. The, it, it, America's leverage around the world is huge. Why not use it for good? I saw someone post something that really struck me and actually almost made me cry. It said, I'm asking you to understand why innocent Palestinians should live. You are asking me to understand why Israel should continue to kill. 
And that is the truth. There is time after time justification for murdering civilians. And there is video after video of parents pulling their children out of the rubble. When are we going to say stop? When are we going to stand against apartheid, against massacres and genocide? Like, think of it. What person are you going to be in history? What are you going to tell your children now, if you have children later, if you're going to have children? What are you going to tell your conscience? Please follow Oxfam. Follow If Not Now. There's a Jewish group called If Not Now. Um, that's the exception of that group. Uh, I think of that quote of If Not Now, Then When, If Not uh, Us, Then Who. If I misquote, I apologize. It's a quote that's in the Holocaust Museum. And there are groups that stand for justice. There are plenty of Jewish groups out there, plenty of non-Jewish groups out there doing work. Jewish uh, Voice for Peace does a lot of protests, a lot of uh, calls to action that you can join as well, even if you're not Jewish. Please join the movement to end this violence now. And we are calling, I am pleading, pleading with every ounce of my being for people to stand up for justice, to stand against killing and murdering of innocent civilians. Did you, are you in contact with friends in Gaza? I personally am not, but my sister is. Uh, she's contact, in contact constantly and is trying to spread their voices on the Gaza Medics Instagram account and Twitter account online. Um, one of her colleagues, sorry, I'm so sorry. One of her colleagues already was killed and she's just constantly trying to hear from others to make sure they're still alive. Um, she's lost contact with some of them, but continues to do what she can to advocate and elevate the voices of those who are still alive. Uh, okay. Uh, Sarah, we really want to thank you for coming on the show. Is What have I not asked you? What, what, what do we need to talk about before we have to go? Is there anything we've missed? I mean, at the end of the day, there's always stuff we're going to miss. There's always stuff we're going to miss. There's tons happening in the West Bank and in Jerusalem that I would love to cover, but we don't have time for it. It would take days to cover all of the atrocities and human rights violations happening. There are some Israeli human rights groups that you can look up that are speaking out. There's another um, organization called, um, oh, my gosh, uh, Something the silence. I'm so sorry. I'm it's okay. It's okay. Um, you can email I, I it to me, and yeah. we can put it on the air. Basically, former Israeli soldiers that are speaking out, breaking the silence. Thank God I remembered it. Breaking the silence. Please look them up. There are former military soldiers speaking out against what's happening right now. Uh, if you want to look up Jewish-Israeli um, uh, uh, academics, Elon Pape is one, Noam Chomsky is another Jewish academic mind that speaks on the topic from an academic perspective. You can read um, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine by Elan Pape, like I said, another uh, Jewish-Israeli author. Please educate yourself. Please speak out. The time to, uh, to act is right now before this turns into, uh, you know, a larger genocide and before it becomes a global issue. Thank I, you. I am just really pleading with the world. Sarah. Sarah Hajshasan, I want to thank you for joining us. It's a hard topic, but we're going to stay with it because we need to learn and we need to listen and we need to understand. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Okay. That's our show for today. My thanks to our guest, Sarah Hajshasan, Emma Mulvaney-Stanek, and uh, all the folks that are going to – Roger Hill and all the folks that are going to uh, – 
to Antarctica. I really appreciate it. Uh, the show becomes a podcast, uh, and Danny will have that up very, very soon. And, uh, our, we're going to stay with this Israel Gaza issue because it's illuminating and it's, it's difficult, but we can do that here. Uh, so listen to the podcast. It'll be there in a, in a couple of hours. I'm here Wednesdays and Fridays, as you all know. You can also find me at KevinKLS.com. Subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest. I've got a new one up about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. this week, which is already blowing up my inbox and my text. So check that out at KevinKLS.com. Uh, as always, we'll talk politics, media, culture, Everything else on my mind and yours, everything from signing up for Medicare to Israel and Gaza. Our show is produced by me, engineered and made possible, usually by Danny McGivigan, but today, the one and only Greg Titus at the board. And thanks to all the folks at WDEV. We're going to go live to the governor's press conference right after this, so stay tuned for that, and then you'll go to Bill Sayer. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we'll see you right back here Friday on Vermont Viewpoint, live radio on the friendly pioneer, WDEV.